The Big Light presents Hello, I'm Sean McDonald and you're listening to Blethered on the Big Light Network. My guest is Claire Burry from Refugee. Recorded in front of an audience of pupils at Straven Academy, we discussed the formation of the charity Refugee, which offers support to asylum seekers and refugees in Glasgow and further afield. Claire explains just how they help those in need. We discuss Schrodinger's asylum seeker, and you'll hear some great questions from some of the pupils, plus a phenomenal music performance from Nina and Matthew. That's seriously worth waiting for at the end. Nina has got an incredible voice and is definitely one to watch. A special thanks to Miss Ingalls and all the brilliant staff for having me at the school and for organising everything. This episode is brought to you by Debt Experts Don't Fret About Debt. If you're struggling with debt and you would like a free chat with an impartial advisor to discuss your options or to see how you can lower your monthly repayments towards debt, then visit don'tfretaboutdebt.net forward slash blethered. You can also listen to my episode of Don't Fret About Debt Senior Debt Advisor Tommy Gallagher where we discuss taking back control of your debt and the various solutions available. Don't Fret About Debt offer all statutory debt solutions in Scotland helping you to make an informed choice. So take the first step to dealing with your debt today. Free advice is also available from the Money Advice Service. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it. Cheers. Claire, first question. Do you ever feel like you're being watched? From time to time, yeah. For people like there's ca- eyes on me. <laughs> there's a few eyes on us. People won't be able to hear this. We're in Straven Academy. What year are you in? Senior pupils, fifth and sixth year? Right, okay. Um, so they're going to be listening in. Have you got que- anybody got questions that he's wanting to ask? Somebody must have something at the end. I'll come back to you. If you don't mind, tell me about Refugee. How would you define that as a as a charity as a group? I think that uh, we talk about Refugee in terms of welcome and in terms of community. So Refugee is an organisation which was set up to welcome people coming to Scotland, primarily Glasgow, but wider Scotland. People who have been forcibly displaced from their own homes, their own countries, coming here, we want to make sure that they have the right warm welcome that we all are proud to demonstrate. And it's a way for the community, the existing community, to show that welcome to people who are recently arrived. Broadly speaking, do you think that you're tapping into and cultivating an attitude of welcoming that already exists in Scotland or are you trying to to generate that where there is a lack of it? I think we are building on something that already exists. I think Glasgow, with its proud People Make Glasgow sign up in on George Square, is absolutely true to that. Welcome and kindness are something that... Glasgow and Scotland have in spades Mm -hmm. and we are tapping into that and taking advantage of it and finding a way to show people how they can demonstrate kindness and welcome. When did the organisation begin and when did you start working with them? So the organisation began around seven years ago, the end of 2015 um, and it was started up by our director Selena Hales and I've been working there now for two and a half years. Mm. What what was, how did, I don't know if you know the answer to this, I'm sure you will, how did Selena come about starting it? Did she come up with a term? Because it seemed, it strikes me as something that somebody held up in a sign, a placard, or it was a tweet, and it's kind of grown from there. Is that is there any truth in that? No, apparently uh, the, the story goes that she was just rolling around some ideas in her own mind, on her own tongue, and she looked across at her colleague at the time and just said, Refugee? And it just stuck. It just was the the winner. Um, it, it was all from her own brain. Yeah. And it's a very simple term. When you break it down, it's refugee mm. and Ouija, which most people, although I'm learning more and more that young people don't recognise the term Ouija, is a colloquial, affectionate term for somebody from Glasgow. See, that's as the, 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 it is definitely a colloquialism, whether there's affection in it, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, but it's, I always thought it was used as like a disparaging term for the the East Coast to call as Ouija's, so do you... As a person from Edinburgh, originally... Is that the case? We did refer to people from Glasgow as Ouija's, but I don't think it was said as anything disparaging. Yeah, it's an abbreviation. It was just a term. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
whether it was used negatively or not. Um, I wasn't so much aware as just that's what we called people from Glasgow. I'm, I'm like stoking the fires of the East-West Coast <laughs> rivalry here. Um, and what what does the group do overall? If I mean, if you were explaining to, to an idiot like myself, just like what kind of tasks you undertake? We undertake the tasks of making people through, feel welcome through a whole series of different opportunities. So... Um, the first thing that we will do for anybody who's just arrived is we will make them feel welcome with one of one of our welcome packs. Mm-hmm. So a welcome pack contains some Scottish items to let people know who we are and what we think is traditional about us. So usually iron brew or shortbread, um, occasionally There's a tartan diabe- scarf. Your, your diabetes starter pack, right Absolutely, there. diabetes starter <laughs> pack. But we also include toiletries, including a toothbrush and toothpaste. Well, there you go. Because at least we can keep people's dental hygiene tip-top yeah. if we're feeding them full of sugar. Um, the the main part of what we put into our welcome packs is a letter, a welcome letter, what we call our letter for local. And that is the words that people give us. People are donating their words. People are donating their money or, or items and people are donating their time in, in the way of volunteering. The words are really, really special. Some of the letters that we receive are just so full of joy and kindness. Every single one of them mentions the weather. But uh, once we've got over the fact that the weather's rubbish, everybody talks about how kind the people are mm. and how welcome people are here in Scotland. And those letters are magical and they're unique. Every welcome pack is unique because each letter is different. Now, I saw a tweet yesterday from an Italian guy saying, as an Italian living in Scotland, can I wear a kilt? And the replies were really lovely. I also chipped in. I was like, well, well, whatever you want, mate. But somebody replied saying that they saw a quote which said, where you're from is interesting, but while you're here, you're one of us. I thought that, that kind of seems to me to encapsulate the, the, the whole premise or the concept of kind of what you are pushing. I think absolutely. I think one of the things that we do as well as um, the welcome packs is we have a community meal Monday to Friday. One of our volunteers will come in and cook for us. So we have food from all over the world and we all sit together and we all remark upon the fact that when somebody would walk into the room, you wouldn't know who was staff, who was volunteer and who was coming in to use the space to get our help. We treat everybody exactly the same. We don't ask questions other than what do you need? We don't ask why you need it and we don't ask where you're from because exactly as you say, when you're here, you're from here, you're one of us. And that's what we want to express amongst everybody that we meet is that in Refugee, we are all part of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm casting, right, if we're, if, if the organisation's been going for seven years, then that would be around the time of this, with the real implosion, if you will, of the Syrian conflict. Would that have been the first sort of groups or the most prominent groups you would have been in contact with? Yeah, I mean, the the reason for starting Refugee was Selena's consciousness of what was going on with refugees fleeing Syria and the treatment of those refugees at borders across Europe. And like many of us, it's very, very difficult It was very difficult for Selena to go to a refugee camp or to a border and try to help there. So she was looking at what she could do in a place where she lived, how she could rally support for people in a place um, closer to home. And she discovered that Assyrian refugees were being resettled in Scotland. And so it was her intention to make those Syrian refugees feel welcome when they arrived. And it really started literally at the airport. She went with Glasgow City Council to meet the first Syrian um, refugees being resettled in Glasgow, in Scotland, um, with packs, with prams, with toys, with clothes, based on what she understood were the... um, families that were coming and made sure that they each had their own letter of welcome and and a gift from the people of Scotland. Do you work in conjunction with local authorities or the government in order to prepare for people coming or do you have to kind of do you have to do that research yourself? We do have a really good relationship with local government. Glasgow City Council have been really excellent at working with us, particularly when they know that there are refugees being settled here. Um, But primarily we work alone. Primarily we work on word of mouth. We use our social media and um, our networks uh, amongst partner organisations to get the word out that we are there to help. Mm -hmm. Most of the time we reach people 
directly um, rather than them coming to us. But we do now see a lot of people dropping in who've heard about our services, uh, but we don't receive referrals in the sense that we get a list of 100 people who've arrived mm. and we're asked to address each person's needs. It's very ad hoc. If, if I was going to ask about the impact it has on people, but there might be somebody sort of going, I want to know how I can help, how I can get involved. How, how do people get involved? I suppose let's list social media as there are physical premises and how can they help? So social media, we have Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Um, each of them is just Refugee. Uh, in terms of our offices, we have an office in the city centre. People are welcome to drop donations off at those city centre premises. And we also have some donation drop off points a couple in the south side of Glasgow and one in the West End. And the other way that people can help is through volunteering. So our website, www.refugee.co.uk, has an excellent list of activities that are going on and ways that people can get involved. And volunteering is one of the ways that we encourage people to get involved and people can sign up to volunteer through our website. Excellent. Now, for the people who who'd have first came, I think there was sirens get sent to Rossi. Mm -hmm. which I think is really funny. It's like a bit of a, not, hold on, for, by the way, to all you's in the class, listen, I don't think it's funny that they were fleeing like hellish conflict. I just think it's quite a juxtaposition of Syrians being in, in Rossi. Seven years on, one of them's got a barber shop, I think, mm -hmm. if I'm going by memory. They've kind of integrated well into the community. I think they've been welcomed. Do you, have you, like, have you been able to sort of reflect on their personal journey and, does that then solidify your desire to keep doing it because you've seen it start, middle and then a sort of continuous end point? I think what solidifies our will to keep going is not how successful people's journey is once they're here. It's about the welcome that they get when yeah. they're initially here. It's about the small things that we can do to make somebody's life a little bit easier. It's about holding a baby for a single mother who hasn't had her hands free for weeks because she's living alone and is very isolated. It's about providing a community meal mm. so that everybody can join in. Or it's about providing volunteer opportunities. Of course, we love to hear the positive stories about the way that people have integrated and settled here. And I know I was speaking to a school in Bears Den last week. Apparently, the, one of the businesses that was started in Rossi was a bakery. Yeah, and yeah. the bakery's now expanded and they've got a second bakery in Bears Den. Wow. So... That's a real success story, but we don't always get to hear about that yeah. because a lot of people's successes are small things, not things that are in the public yeah. eye. They can be things like being able to have another child or just being able to get a job or feeling part of a community. So we really emphasise the small things that can make a difference rather than the bigger outcomes, the positive destinations that people can achieve Integration, of course, is so paramount. We want people to feel part of the community and remain here, but it's the it's the little things that make the journey there possible. Mm. I think, I mean, success is subjective, isn't it? And it can mean different things for everybody, but I would think we could come to a sort of broad consensus that feeling safe, feeling happy, not fearing for your life, not being under the threat of whether it's being bombed or being sort of taken away and murdered, and these are realities for people. I mean, let's dismantle some of the... I think there are misconceptions, and I think there are just false narratives that are pushed. Let's go through a few. We talked about this in the phone the other day, Schrodinger's Immigrant. Schrodinger's Immigrant is one of my favourite uh, memes that I've seen. The concept of Schrodinger's Immigrant is that they are simultaneously taking our jobs and taking our benefits... Yeah. So the idea is that you're, it's it's a lose-lose situation for anybody who is coming over here seeking sanctuary, that they are considered to be stealing from us one way or the other. Mm -hmm. I mean, with no disrespect to any area, I won't single any out, but we know any area in Scotland, it's not that great that you would leave, you would travel 5,000 miles to come here and be kind of publicly castigated at times, as people can be, or to sort of feel completely isolated to not speak the language. What are, I mean, let's be blunt about it. What are the realities that people are fleeing? Because well, I suppose we're seeing it in, in Ukraine. I've done another 2,000 miles and it's pretty much a lot of the same things that people are, you know, 
fleeing from, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, persecution is very broad. When you look at the definition of persecution and you look at what people are fleeing from, it might be cultural norms of female genital mutilation in African countries where practice is almost 95%. Um, if a woman is pregnant and she fears for the future of her unborn daughter, she may feel that she has no option but to come to a country where FGM is illegal yeah. and a person would be prosecuted for even taking somebody out of a country um, to take them to a place where uh, female genital mutilation might be practised. Iran, at the moment, we're seeing the protests in Iran. Freedom of speech is... Um, really just subdued. People are being arrested just for going out into the streets. The woman who um, was killed by the police that started this whole set of protests, she was wearing her hijab incorrectly, according to the morality police. These are things that people are fleeing daily. And it doesn't just have to be the headline news of war and conflict, it can be the internal struggles of a hostile society where people do not have the freedom to practice their, what we consider to be their uh, rights. Mm. I mean, if, there are people, are, they're fleeing things that are in direct contravention to the UN Human Rights Charter, the UN rights, like the rights of the child. And I always kind of, it's not often I get into debates with people about it because I think most people are pretty decent in understanding. But whenever it does come up, I always say, like, well, I mean, how would you feel if you had to go to Turkmenistan or, like, go and live in Jalalabad? Like, it seemed, it's so abstract and alien to you. You can't imagine what it's like. And it's pretty much the same the other way around. And I always go back to the point. I'm like, I mean, Glasgow or Scotland, it's nice, but it's not that great that people are like, wow, we'll head here. A few other things. You know, you see boats coming across the the English Channel. And a common sort of trope or, or point that people make is, what well, was France not good enough? They're failing to take into consideration, perhaps they don't speak French, but they might have English or they might have family that's here. How, how do you dismantle that point in, in a more expansive way? Well, if you delve into it, if you look at the situation in Cali and Dunkirk, where people are living in tent cities in what they call the jungle. Um, the jungle is repeatedly destroyed by the police. So even somebody's shelter is taken away because France does not have enough protective laws to make sure that people's basic human rights are being met. Mm. So for a lot of people, they will hear about the UK as being the place where they will be treated with compassion, their human rights will be protected. Britain has spent a long, long time talking about its human rights record, waving the flag for how superior its human rights are, it wouldn't be unreasonable for somebody to look for the safest place that they could imagine being the UK because we've done nothing but promote it that way. And we should be proud of that. Why shouldn't we be proud that people want to come here? English-speaking countries are more attractive because so much of the world does rely on English. Mm. Um, and we are a warm, hospitable nation. That's something to be genuinely proud of and not dismissive of. That's a good laugh, though, isn't it? For anybody really at this point saying that the UK is this bastion of of human rights and decency. It's like this dystopian nightmare. I always just like Pretty Patel doing the Salt Bay thing, but instead of salt, it's fascism. <laughs> like, that's kind of... The, it's the descent that we're heading into. Hopefully we're seeing the sort of final days of that. Do you, do you see any... Diff and I, I'm not trying to pit your organisation... Against one government against the other, um, I would never ever do that. But do you do you notice any differences between, say, ScotGov and the Home Office in terms of cooperation, in terms of correspondence? Scottish government have always been much more favourable in terms of their rhetoric around support for refugees compared to the UK government. Westminster have outright said about the hostile environment. They're promoting and pushing for a policy of returning, um, or not returning, but taking people who have come across the channel by boat specifically and taking them to places like Rwanda. Rwanda. Scottish government do not support that and will never support that. And that's obviously a great gift to us in Scotland to know that the Scottish government don't support it. However, the Scottish government 
have to put their money where their mouth is. One of the things that the Scottish government doesn't have power over is immigration. It's not a devolved power. It's It's a reserved matter for Westminster. What the Scottish government do have power over is things like the police. Now, if somebody is going to be detained in Scotland or in, in the rest of the UK, the police must be present. If the police are not present, detention cannot go ahead. Mm. Scottish government do have the power to tell the police not to show up at immigration raids. Oh. And so if they are truly committed, it's our belief that they could ask the police not to show up. Did not know that. So we think that the Scottish government are very much on the side of working to support and encourage and welcome refugees, Mm -hmm. but there is much, much more that they could do. Well, we've seen... Oh God, right, when would this have been? Maybe late 2019, early 2020, before COVID really kicked in, um, there was... I'm I'm packing my words very carefully, right, because I was told this information. And the person who told me is going to be going mental as they listen to this. But they were basically looking at early trials of decriminalisation of drugs, and that's something I've spoken about with Peter Crycant, the guy who's leading the charge for the mobile consumption rooms for people, or remote consumption rooms for people to consume drugs in a safe way and not be criminalised and therefore to treat it as a as, as a health issue as opposed to criminal. And I think it looked to be going ahead and then I'm pretty sure it was pretty Patel or it was the Home Office anyway were just like, nah, nah, that's, that's not happening. But now the Scottish Government, as we know, quite recently have taken the they've come as close to decriminalisation as is possible. I think where the Lord Advocate basically said, this is how we're going to kind of deal with these matters and people will be referred instead of just being totally criminalised. So it can, they've shown that they can do it with certain things. And I'm an admirer of the Scottish government in in a lot of aspects. I'm very critical of them and others. Some people seem to think I might be a bit of a cheerleader. It could not be further for the, the truth. But with this, who do we pressure because so I interviewed you know, Darren McGarvey, Loki, and he was saying that the an MP for an MSP or an MP, for example, has got a a board in front of them with loads of flashing lights, and they can only pay attention to a certain amount. And the way that you get something done is everybody sort of unilaterally is like, "Here, deal with us and get it done. This is what we want. We're the electorate. We'll vote you out if you don't." Who who who's responsible for? Do you, do you know? I mean, I'm p- really putting you on the spot, but who'd be responsible for saying, how you get this dealt with? I think it's all our responsibilities to speak to members of Parliament, yeah. members of Scottish Parliament, and just keep the issues current, not let the issues die down, and make sure that people are listening and keeping it at the top of the agenda as much as possible. The economic crisis that we're experiencing at the moment is affecting the most vulnerable in our communities and the the, uh, asylum support payments. So the amount of money that the government give to somebody within the asylum system remains £40 per week per person. That's not enough. It's not enough. So when we talk about the benefits system and we're talking about mainstream benefits, we should also be talking about the asylum support system and how unreasonable it is to keep people living on just £40 per week. Mm. In terms of the right to work, people don't have the right to work while they're going through the asylum system. Only a privileged few get the right to work. And in order to be allowed to work, you have to have been waiting for more than a year for an initial decision on your asylum claim. So you're actually put at a disadvantage before you're potentially put at an advantage of being entitled to work. But in order to work, you have to meet... um, You have to uh, pick a job from the shortages of occupations list, which is a very bizarre list produced by the government where there are shortages in those uh, areas of employment. Ballet dancers, I believe, um, theatre producers um, and some engineering, specific engineering Mm -hmm. types. Um, That's where there are shortages. We all know that since Brexit, we have also seen shortages in um, unskilled, low-skilled working, and that has not been added to the shortages of occupation list. So people who are willing to work 
Going back to Schrodinger's immigrant, people who are willing to work are unable to and therefore have to take the benefits that are provided because they have no alternative. These are the things that should be the, at the top of the agenda to try and get the, this situation fixed, to try and fix it so that people are not demonised for taking from the government and not making a contribution. Mm. It's, I'm not digging you up in the semantics for this at all, but it's such an unfair term, isn't it? Unskilled and low-skilled workers. Absolutely. Like, see how how quick how quickly your society crumbles when you don't have for, for these jobs. I don't even want to pick any out because I feel like that would be unfair. But I think people can work out what I'm kind of referring to. It's like you're there are people that are here that yeah they would like to work, they would like to contribute, they would like to be doing something, they'd like to earn money, and it's just this. I, I really do think with the the UK government's. Um, approach to it and attitude even like every Disney villain rolled into one we'd be like oh it's a bit like Scarfy Lion King we'd be like yeah, it's a bit nasty is it not like that's just kind of how I see it um, the Ukrainians let's talk about them Did was that unexpected for you that that, that was going to kind of kick off because it seemed to really did just the, the situation escalated in what felt like a matter of weeks and then before you know it people arriving in the, in the UK we always see a delay in the work that I've done um, for years, and I've been working in this sector for around 20 years, there's always a delay between what you see on the news and what actually happens in terms of people arriving here in Scotland. So in February, we began seeing in the news what was going on in Ukraine, and we were anticipating the increase in the number of people arriving uh, into Scotland. And it wasn't until about May or June before we actually began seeing people arriving. And... It was a case of opening our doors one day and 37 Ukrainians turned up and we weren't prepared, we weren't ready because we didn't know that they, that people were just going to turn up and say, what can I get? So we did, in a sense, hit the ground running. Um, what strikes us as darkly amusing is that at the start of this year, there was an estimated 12,000 refugees and asylum seekers living within Scotland. Um, that's people who are going through the asylum system. That's people who have received status. That's people who perhaps have been here for a number of years. An estimated 12,000 people um, who had been forcibly displaced living in Scotland. And we were being told that there was no more room. We were being told mostly by the UK media that there was no more space in the UK. And this is why we were being presented with Rwanda as an option. Since February, 13,000 Ukrainians have been brought to Scotland, which more than doubles the number of people living here who have been forcibly displaced. Now... You mean the government was lying? Do you mean the government was wrong? <laughs> I don't believe you. No way. I know it's hard to believe that the government would ever say something to us to spin... Oh, yeah. us into a frenzy that we needed to do something about this situation. So the the difficulty is that there is a, there is a housing crisis. There aren't enough homes for 13,000 additional people when we are now seeing people living on cruise ships. There are people There's living one around the corner from my house. Is that that's, one at Brayhead? Yeah, that, yep. that's not on. No, not on. In fact, right, sorry, it's boring, right? Sidetrack, <laughs> but... Do you know the see at the Erskine Bridge? Mm -hmm. There's a hill behind it, right, called yep. the Humphrey. Right. And I walked up it. And as I was walking, I was like, is that a cruise ship coming down the Clyde? And I thought either it's going in for repair or there's going to be some pissed off holidaymakers. Like, sorry, why are we going to govern? But then I thought, or it's going to be um, refugees. And then that day, so I would have heard it would have been Selena on the radio. And I commented, no, she was on STV, and I commented on it and I was like, Good for her. I went, but wow, she like eviscerated the government on that, the Scottish government. And I thought it was fair comment. Like you can't have people living in wee daft cabins. You can't have living have people living in cabins in a dock yeah. where there are no facilities. No, there's, there's no, no infrastructure. There's where do those kids go to school? How yeah. do people go to the shops? How do people move about safely? Who controls who goes on the ship in terms of making sure that people on the ship are safe? Mm. If you control who goes on the ship, you're also controlling the movements of the people living there. So you are monitoring who who is going on and off and you're keeping checks on people you're giving them no independence and no freedom and people living there are being given three meals a day and eight pounds a week to live on 
how are you meant to live on eight? That's just, that's, that is actually impossible, I think. Um, although, if I was one of those wee kids, I'd be in school like, hey, that's my yacht, just parked up there. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I think for kids, I don't know if you've ever seen the film uh, Life is Beautiful. Oh, uh, what is it? La Vita e Bella? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I was talking about this just earlier. So you can create a game, a story for a child. We should probably explain then for anybody that doesn't know La Vita e Bella is this Italian film and it's set during the Holocaust, isn't yep. it? And it's a Jewish waiter and him and his son get taken into a concentration camp and he tricks them into thinking it's all a big game. And, all, and the, so the wee boy just thinks, wow, this is the most fun thing ever. So you could do that, but then that's unnecessary stress on the parents. Isn't it? Absolutely, it's unnecessary stress and it's just a blatant lie yeah. because the reality is so different and there's no time limit, as far as we can tell, for how long people are going to be living on ships. Because, I mean, to not in the interest of balance, because I don't think you should balance everything. You know the way, like... I shouldn't, I don't know what I was going to criticise a network that I regularly work with. I think I might be refrained from doing that. But what happens as often is people go, oh, well, you know, we've heard for somebody that thinks racism is bad. So in order to balance it up, here's somebody who thinks racism is good. And you're like, mm, not a valid representation of the entire demographic. But for the government, they could they could potentially turn around and say, well, you know, this has been sprung on us by surprise and we don't have enough housing. You're like, ah, right, OK, yeah, we've reached the first point. Why don't you have enough housing? Is it infrastructural problem? Like, what... What the hell is going on? There should be more affordable housing. There should be sort of freer housing. You shouldn't have to be putting people in boats. Um, what do you, have you managed to gauge an idea of how the Ukrainians feel about about being in Scotland? Wait, do, sorry, do we not have Ukrainians in this school? Yeah. What what year? There's um, one in fifth year. Well, and there's two. And sorry, I'm just going to come over and speak. I feel like pardon me again. It's like, what's your name? Where'd you come from? <laughs> Um, so, sorry, what is your name? Emily. So can you just tell me, give me a wee idea of what it was like when the kids kind of joined and did you do anything to, to specifically welcome them? Yeah, so um, in our year there's also a Syrian refugee um, and I think because um, it was only a couple months after Omar the Syrian refugee joined, I think it was a lot easier for our year to sort of be inclusive. I think especially living in a small town it can be quite difficult for some students to be um, open-minded but um, all in all I think it was a really positive experience because it got more students like politically involved um, and watching the news and thinking more about respect and how to respect other students. What a fantastic answer and you seem like a lovely person so <laughs> that is great. Um, yeah sorry so what has the the sort of um, how, how have they felt I know that's like a can't speak for 12,000 people, but the people that you've engaged with? Um, we have heard from people how difficult it can be to get the basics. It can be difficult for people to feel dignified. Um, getting your child ready for school in a small inside cabin on a cruise ship must be absolutely exhausting, yeah. mentally, physically exhausting. And people come to us asking for things like um, daily liners um, because uh, they don't have access to proper laundry facilities. Oh, like so if, um, like female sanitary products? Right, okay. Yep. Um, so people are asking constantly um, for things like daily liners and toiletries because they're not being given toiletries on board. And again, they don't have access um, to shops and they don't have access to the budget that would allow them to buy those things um, and not knowing when registering a child for school if that's going to be their local school once they're moved off the ship or how long they will be on the ship mm. I think that that is obviously for everybody you know it might sound like a cruise holiday would be a wonderful thing to go on when you have access to all the facilities and you're going somewhere a bit more exciting than Govern Dry Docks. Greenock. No, no harm to anybody for Govern or Greenock, but I'm sure they'll agree that it's not a holiday destination. It ain't. Although Greenock's nice in the summer. Yeah, Greenock's nice in it's the summer. But it's not your choice to exactly. go to Greenock. And you're also struggling with the trauma of what's gone, what you've left behind. So it's compounding the problem where people are in these kind of um, intense situations with probably 5,000 people living together on a ship, it's going to cause tension, it's going to cause problems. God, yeah. It, 
it's not suitable for anybody. It's not humane. And the government see it as a shelter for people in circumstances where there's a housing crisis and they don't have an alternative available. We know that we should be doing better. I mean, it's for the long haul, isn't it? Because even if the, I almost called it the Russian-Ukrainian conflict, that isn't what it is. It's a Russian attack and aggression on Ukraine. But even if that shows signs of ending or if there's some sort of overthrow of Vladimir Putin, it's not as if they're going back to, you know, a lot of these places are obliterated. And it's not being hyperbolic to say that. I think, like, the, the, a lot of the places have been decimated to rubble, so they are going to be here for the long, the long haul. Yeah, and I think that um, everybody who comes, everybody who leaves their home for one reason or another, but due to fear of persecution and a need to get to somewhere safe, will always be dreaming of the day when they can go home. Yeah. I don't think it would be unreasonable to say that all people, most people, want to go back to where they came from eventually, but they want to go back when it's a time of peace, when it is safe and when they can go back and make sure that their family are safe there. And for a lot of people from Ukraine, from Syria, from Ethiopia, from Iran, from Libya, all over the world, people are not in a position to be able to say, it's safe now, I mm -hmm. can go back. And so people are having to make their lives here longer term than perhaps they ever dreamed they would have to. Yeah. For for uh, for regular listeners, here's the klaxon of this idiot's mentioning Barcelona again. Well, so I'm always mentioning it's kind of a running joke, but having moved there in 2013, I went there of my own volition, absolutely loved it, still love it, still there constantly. And honestly, every time I take off from Glasgow or Presswick or Edinburgh or London, I'm thinking about when am I coming back. And I'm going there because I want to go there. I absolutely love it. And all I can think about is how much I miss home. So I really struggle to get my head around how much these poor people must be must be desperate to, to get back. Yeah, can you buy Iron Brew in Barcelona? Well, I actually remember when they stopped selling it full sugar. Yes. Here, well, over there, like some wee shopkeeper had bought hundreds, right? Like crates and crates of the stuff. And for about a year, I was able to buy the good stuff. And I wasn't telling, and people were asking me, and I was like, like other Scots, and I'm going, nah, mate, you can't really get it here. Because I was like, I'm not, I'm not sharing my stash. So you can get it, but it's difficult. You need to travel for miles. It's difficult. You need to travel for miles. And if you've got the financial wherewithal to be yeah, able exactly, to travel for exactly. miles, you can go and get something that reminds you of home. Mm -hmm. But for other people, travelling here, there and everywhere to buy halal chicken yeah. or to go and find the plantain that they want to feed their children because that's what their children have grown up on. Oh. It's extremely expensive um, and it it puts people at a real disadvantage because they're not able to just give themselves the comforts of home that make them feel safe. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, countries have been to and lived in and worked in I've always been really fortunate enough to, to receive a warm welcome and people kind of putting me at ease and making me feel at home so I'm glad that there's a there's a group that's doing that for people that would otherwise be somewhat ignored so good for you and I, I hope it continues if I can ever support in any way with anything please never hesitate to get in touch thank you so much I think we just always say to people you know whether it's your words or your time or your donations it all makes a big difference and spreading the word Mm -hmm. um, that everybody can get involved. This is very much a thing which is for everybody. It's not just the 12 people that work in the office. It's not just the 200 plus volunteers that we have working with us. It's anybody who makes a donation, who writes a letter and who talks positively against the challenging rhetoric that's coming out from mm -hmm. the media and from politicians. Yeah, don't listen to the Daily Mail. Would be a... Don't share Daily Mail articles. Yeah, not even the celebrity stuff. No. I know it's interesting. Yep. I it's like tempting. it. It's I get tempting. down the Harry Styles rabbit hole just like anybody else. Don't just switch them off, man. Same with the sun as well. friend of mine just shared a story about a, ba a bear who got drunk on beer and tried to fight... <sighs> no, a pig who got drunk on right. beer and tried to fight a bear. Oh, um, and it was a Daily Mail article. Now, as tempting as it is to open that article and read it, it's still the Daily Mail. There's a bead of sweat trickling down my head already. <laughs> thinking about no going to search for that article. I'd like to even at least see the video. I'll try and find you a non-Daily Mail version yeah. of it. Um, we can open up to. Do we have any questions or, or anything anybody would like to ask about the about the charity or about anything? Yeah, 
Oh, hold on, I'll come back over to you. Emily, wasn't it? Right, there you go. Obviously, you mentioned um, volunteering briefly. What would be the best way for us as like students and youth um, to help the charity? Um, we always say that uh, you can... Uh, carry out donation drives in your community. You can run competitions for letter writing or just open it up for people to write letters. Volunteering is available um, for people over the age of 16 without parental uh, support. Um, you can uh, volunteer from 16 onwards within our offices. If any of you are able to drive, you can also deliver parcels for us. Um, but I think just keeping an eye on what's going on on our website will give you lots and lots of information about ways that you can get involved. Brilliant, thank you. That's when you said letters. Is that and like just writing sort of non-addressed stuff to people and, and like they're like, I think that's a really nice idea. It's a lovely concept um, mm. that really started at the very beginning of Refugee, where people will write "dear friend" or ah, "hiya pal" nice. or something like that, and then just introduce a little bit about themselves. Our favourite one has become a neon sign in our offices. It just said, I like pineapples. What mm. do you like? <laughs> Conversation opener right there. Yeah. And pineapples have now become the theme of our office. But it can be as simple as that. Yeah. You could tell somebody about your favourite place to go. One of the letters that we loved although not sure it was entirely appropriate, was um, somebody saying that you should go to KFC, but don't go to McDonald's because they spit in the wraps. Um, sorry, uh, that's probably no, uh, really... Get up, McDonald's, what are you going to do about it? Nothing. <laughs> Ronald old McDonald's, shut up, man. Um, no, um, but just beautiful sentiments about, we know that the weather's rubbish, but people are really friendly. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I came to Scotland as a person from somewhere else and I found the people to be warm and welcoming. It can be really, really simple. Um, we try to put in a combination of letters from children and from adults into the packs Absolutely. for adults. And then we put in children's letters and we try to match them by age, roughly, um, for kids. And the kids' ones are full of lovely drawings um, and lovely designs and usually fewer words, whereas the adults are more words and fewer pictures. I get emotional dead easily, so I'm going to have to stop thinking about that. I'll end up bursting into tears. Uh, we get letters written by children where it's um, spelled phonetically. Oh. And sometimes you have to read it th three or four times before you can understand what it is that yeah. somebody's actually saying. Um, occasionally you get letters that say um, something about... You know, uh, I hope you weren't bombed or there are no guns here or... Nice intention, maybe leave that on it. I think the intention is good. Yeah. Um, and people very, very infrequently will write something. I don't think people would bother yeah, to write a letter if they had something nasty to say. They, they, they tend to just leave it. They usually just tweet it, don't they? <laughs> so, uh, is there any, any other questions? Yeah. Oh, I'll just come out to you. What would you like to ask? Um, when people come in asking for help, is it hard to get past the language barrier? That's a, that a great question. How do you even deal with that? We have a lot of methods that we use. Um, quite often people have one or two words in English and we understand. Um, we can also use translation tools online. We've discovered that there are some that are better for particular languages and others that are better for other languages. And we use a lot of body language and sign language. So there's a lot of hand gestures um, and a lot of people will come and volunteer with us even if they don't speak a word of English and we get on absolutely brilliantly there's a wonderful woman from Ukraine who's been volunteering with us and it turns out that she actually used to run a shop so the reason that she is so on the ball in helping us to sort through our donations huh. and get them into her shop space is that she herself used to have a shop or she maybe I'm wrong, maybe she didn't have a shop, but she used to help run a yeah, shop. Yeah. And so without the language, we can just direct people using hand gestures and sign language. But translation tools are really critical. And so are volunteers with additional language skills. Um, communication is not just verbal. I think that's what's really important as well, is it can be, a lot of it is through our body language and, mm. and uh, the way that we present ourselves, yeah. particularly when we're showing somebody welcome. Um, it's about smiling, it's about open body language. That was a great question. I never even thought of that. You should come and just take that seat, actually. I should have asked that right at the start. Uh, is there anybody else that anybody wants to ask or any any points anybody would like to make? I would I would love to deliver parcels for you. That if would you be never fantastic. Need anybody. Yep. 
we can get you onto our WhatsApp group. We yeah. have a dedicated WhatsApp group for drivers. Um, some people do it on foot, so we don't like to just say drivers. So we call it refugee deliveries. Okay. And some people do it on like a big box bike. So you know those big cargo bikes. Oh, see, I would, I would always take my car. It's easy, but that yeah. bike sounds quite fun. The bike is fun. It Maybe looks like a boat. Um, so it? Uh, like a just eat driver. <laughs> just to name drop our volunteer John, he drives this amazing bike. It has got a motor, so it helps right. him get up those steep hills because we're up at Blythewood Square. Um, so it is oh, obviously yeah. quite challenging for people on those hills. Yeah. Um, but he can deliver about twelve bags of uh, deliveries in his in his bike, and uh, he's got a little high vis vest he's got a little badge that says he's a volunteer and he's even got himself his own refugee hoodie that he drives a drives his bike rides his bike very proudly okay count me in my pal jamie he'll come on the deliveries with me he's quite good with stuff like that um now if we don't have any other questions uh we're going to have shall we move into our music is nina yeah what's your name again mate matthew Matthew. uh we're going to have a performance i'm just going to let you come over when i was in this morning matthew and nina were performing um so it's guitar and vocals and the song is in french and it's absolutely amazing so enjoy Je ne suis qu'un être sans potence Sans moi je suis un peu pas où Je l'embusse dans mes tours Une dernière danse Pour oublier ma paiement Je vends mon fil dès que commence Où ma douce offense absolutely incredible that's the second time I've heard that absolutely amazing um, I cannot even possibly follow that so I'm not even going to attempt to so just kind of I'll give you that just one sec um, just want to say thank you for, for 
sharing so much of your your insight. Thank you. Um, thanks so much for having me here. Um, thanks for the questions uh, from the pupils at Straven Academy. Um, it's always my pleasure to come and talk to people about the work we do to help people understand how everybody can get involved. Um, and I think that I know that the school have uh, raised some donations and collected things that I'm going to be taking away in my car today. And it it will make a difference. It does make a difference. The direct impact is that we will be able to make more, more welcome packs for people coming through our doors over the next weeks and months. And so every bit helps. I sound like a, a big supermarket mm. chain, but it really does make a difference. Um whether it's something small like a bottle of shampoo, whether it's a letter, whether it's uh, volunteering to come and do some deliveries. Yep, I Sean, will, I will definitely do I that. I will hold you to that. Honestly, tunes on in the car. I'll have a time of my life. Excellent. You will have the time of your life. Everybody who does deliveries for us gives us such positive feedback about the happy, smiling faces, about people when they get a little bit lost in an area. Somebody will say, oh, are you looking for so-and-so? Oh, they're along there or I'll take their package in. There's just a really good feeling. Yeah. And about I love the whole that. thing right well, I'm looking forward to it so count me in uh, no, so thank you again thank you to the senior pupils Straven Academy thank you to our incredible music duo like surely you two are going to be on it transmit or something in, in the next couple of years if you are I'll just I'll be taking credit for it thank you to Miss Ingalls for, for sorting everything out and thank you for listening and as always we'll be back with another episode of Blethered soon cheers Leathered was written, recorded and produced by Sean McDonald in association with The Big Light. Music and post-production by Brian McAlpine and for more information, go to thebiglight.com. If you like this podcast, please check out all our other series including Talk Media, Natural Wonders, You Could Start a Fight in an Empty House, Talking Derry Girls, Brave Your Day, The Tartan Noir Show, Double Scotch, Great Scott, Trust Me I'm a Leader, Unearthed, A Sonic Hug and Old School. All on the Big Light, Scotland's podcast network. From the Big Light Studio.